Now, in John chapter 16, we'll start in verse 25. John is talking to his disciples the night before he was going to be uh, crucified. And he says these words in verse 25 of John 16. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And may the Lord bless his word into our hearts today. So today's lesson is Jesus the overcomer. Jesus the overcomer. It's very important words today. Uh, we look at the world and we see a world oftentimes, the older we get, the, the more dim the world becomes. And that may be because we start developing cataracts and we don't see very clearly, but I think it's even worse because I think that as we age, we were taught certain things as children, and then as we get older, we see that they stop teaching the things that they taught us, and they teach other things as though what they taught us didn't matter at all. And we start seeing that in this world, there is trouble, and there's many, many problems in the world. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at what Jesus had to say in this verse, highlighting the last verse in our lesson, but going back and setting the foundation for it all. Now, Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for his death. He is trying to prepare them because he knows that he has to go through this for their benefit, but he doesn't believe they understand it yet, so he's trying to prepare them and he's also trying to give them hope because in this world, you can't live without hope. We have to have hope. And if we don't have hope, then we're gonna be in trouble. Uh, and, and in this world where people are obsessed with youth and they're obsessed with health and physical things, uh, God wants us to also understand that there is a spiritual vitality that we absolutely need. And it's far more important than just being young. I heard a story about a guy who was a very uh, successful businessman. He was an older man. He's about 60 years old. And he uh, was not the nicest man in the world, but uh, he was approached by an angel. And the angel said, here you go, I'm gonna give you a wish. What do you want? And the, and the businessman said, well, 
I would like to have a, a wife uh, by whom I am, uh, you know, 30 years younger than me. Poof! Suddenly there was a light and smoke and the guy looked in the mirror and he had suddenly become 90 years old. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. People are obsessed with youth and vitality and it's, it's also true of our things. Every year you gotta have the new model, you gotta have the next version of what you already have. Our world breeds discontentment. Our world is constantly teaching us that don't be satisfied with what you have, but instead always want more. Now, the verses in the Bible that are very important on that subject and are very clear, and I've never found proven wrong, are found multiple times in the Bible where it says the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hear hearing. And that's so true. People can have and have and have and they still will want more and more and more. But what Jesus wants us to understand is that we need to truly seek what the world cannot take away, death cannot destroy, and that you can hold on to through eternity. And that's ultimately what you want. Now, Jesus knew that when he was going to be gone, that his disciples would have certain needs. He wanted to assure them that things would be okay. Now, the disciples, what did they do when they were walking with Jesus and they needed something? Well, when they needed food, what did they do? They went to the Lord and says, we got a problem. We don't have enough food. He says, well, that's fine. Have everybody sit down. What do you have? He took what they had and he blessed it and he fed thousands with what would have fed just one person, but he fed thousands. That's how Jesus worked. And when people came to him and said, hey, I've got a problem with my health, what did he do? Did he say, go away? No, he healed them. And if somebody was dead, he even raised them from the dead. So that pretty much tells me that they were spoiled on what Jesus was doing for them. And when he was going to be going, that was going to be a shock to them because if you were used to walking around with a man who healed thousands of people and raised the dead and was able to create food out of nothing virtually, you would be spoiled as well. So he knew that they had to be prepared for the day when he wasn't there, when he was going to go to his father and he wanted them to understand how they are to live. So the first thing he does here in the verses I read is he says, I've tried to speak plainly to you. You know, a lot of times Jesus spoke with symbolic language. He did this to try to weed them out at the people who were the pretenders from those who were the genuine people. He wanted people to take time to understand, which is why he spoke in parables oftentimes. But he says, the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So what he was trying to teach them is that, hey, I've spent a lot of time here speaking in a roundabout way, but I'm going to tell you the time's coming when I'm going to be speaking directly with you. He also wanted to assure them of something else. If he was going to be gone, what did they need? They needed to have someone they could go to who they could get what they needed and someone who's looking out for them. Now, the lie that the devil tells all believers is, is that you're alone, nobody cares about you, and he's constantly 
uh, uh, affirming this lie to us through his airways, which he controls. He's constantly trying to turn us away from the Lord and into our own sad situations. So what Jesus wanted us to understand and what his disciples to understand is in verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Now he, he does pray for us. He does intercede for us. But he's trying to give them a direct link to God. He's going to tell them that there's something special about you as a disciple. You have been given a privilege and a rank far beyond your status. And that that he spoke about his disciples is true of us. He says, for the Father himself, in verse 27, the key to being able to understand how to get by without Jesus in this world, how do you get by in a world where Jesus is not readily available for us and, 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 and walking on this earth? How do we make it in this world? He says, don't worry. You can go to the Father because he himself loves you. He loves you. The Father loves you. Now, how important is the Father? I'll tell you how important it was. It's because he's so important that our Lord spent his mornings and his evenings going alone and spending time with his Father. He loved his Father. He bragged on his Father. He spent time with his Father because his Father was the most important person in his life. So important, you would think that we ought to get the message. We need to have that kind of relationship with God the Father. And God the Father, who sent his Son into the world and committed all judgment to his Son, he himself loves us. Why? Because we love Jesus. They love Jesus, and the Father says, you know what? I love those, those men. Now, they don't understand everything. They don't get it right all the time, and they certainly are going to mess up, but I still love them. And Jesus testified that the Father himself loved because they loved him and have believed, past tense notice, that I came forth from God. They did believe. They believed in him, but they also were getting ready to be tested. They were getting ready to go through a time when it appeared that he was gone and not going to be coming back. His disciples, of course, they affirmed this and uh, they said, we are sure now that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. So they said, yeah, we believe, yeah. They, 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 they said, we certainly believe. But Jesus then said, well, do you really? He says, you're going to be running away from me pretty soon. In fact, I'll be alone. And how true that was. Think about the disciples. We often give Peter a hard time for denying the Lord, but where were the other disciples? Not many of them were around, were they? And they went their own way. So Jesus explained that to them. Uh, yet he said in verse 32, I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've got him with me and I'm okay, I'm going to be, be fine. The only problem was is when he went on that cross and he suffered all the, the weight of sin upon him and his own shoulders, there was that one moment 
where he was alone and he had to bear that weight. But all the way leading up, he had the father with him, taking him through that horrible thing. So I started thinking about this, Jesus the overcomer. How in the world do we make our way in a hostile world to Christianity? If, it, if you don't think it's hostile to Christianity, well, then you've got your eyes closed. It is a world where Jesus is not number one in their eyes of the people who are the movers and shakers of in, and influencers of our age. So I wanna compare how we overcome the world and how did Jesus overcome the world? So first of all, how did he overcome the world? I think one of the first things he did to overcome the world was that he listened to his father rather than to others. You know, that got him in trouble all the time. Uh, the leaders of Israel, they always were wanting Jesus to do what they said. They wanted Jesus to follow their rules. They were not happy that Jesus didn't ask them permission to do anything. You know why Jesus didn't ask them permission? Because he had already asked the highest authority permission, God the Father. So he didn't need their permission. And because he listened to his father, instead of people, he was a happier person and he was able to overcome the peer pressure that naturally hits all people. If he had been like us, we would have been listening to everybody else. And if you want to be unhappy, try to listen to everybody else to get their advice and follow everybody's advice. See how long that goes. It doesn't work. He listened to his father rather than to others. Another way he overcame the world was that he was a person who followed his father's schedule instead of others. You know, he, he did what his father wanted him to do on the time his father said. So he wasn't always looking at his watch if he had had one. And when he heard that Lazarus, his friend was sick, what did he do? He delayed. He didn't go instantly take care of him. He stayed away and then Lazarus died. Now, if he had listened to people, he would have rushed to the aid of his, of his friend, but he didn't, he let him die. Why did he do it? Well, we know later that he ended up raising Lazarus from the dead, but they didn't know that. But he followed the schedule that his father set for him. How many of us in life, we get to become slaves of a schedule that someone else makes for us? And we, we are so fearful of avoiding that schedule and violating it. And, and we are constrained because of it. I think that God wants us to make sure that we're following his timing in our lives. <clears throat> Jesus did it, and sometimes he was late in the eyes of others, but he was not late according to his father's schedule. And sometimes uh, people, the disciples were wanting him to do something, and he didn't do it. He didn't follow what they had to say. He followed the timing of his father. So listening to his father, rather than to others, being on his father's schedule. You know, Jesus was only in a hurry, in my opinion, twice. Once was when he was in the temple driving out the money changers. He is quick to get them out of there. 
And another thing was, as he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified, before he uh, had entered the city, uh, the last week of his life, he led the disciples walking to Jerusalem. He, he didn't, a lot of times he'd just be very casually walking, but this time he led the way to get to Jerusalem. So he, he was not a person who was normally in a hurry. Uh, he, in our world, he would have never, I guess, gotten a speeding ticket, you know? And, and I guess all of us have gotten speeding tickets in life, but not him. I don't think he was ever in a hurry. He said, why should I be in a hurry? I'm on my father's timing, you know? He, he, he just was very casual about getting places, but in, there were a couple of exceptions where he was in a hurry. A third thing that Jesus did to overcome the world was that he was faithful to offer himself and accept, now think about this, the injustice and cruelty of the cross. How in the world do you take all the abuse that he took? How many of you like to be wrongly accused of something? Does it make you happy? It makes me mad when I'm wrongly accused of something. It's easy to get mad because if somebody wrongly accuses you of something, what are you gonna do? You're gonna stand up for yourself. You're gonna say, I'm innocent. I, I, and you're going to make it clear, hey, I didn't do what you told people that I did. But Jesus didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb going to the slaughter. He let these people who didn't had, had no right to do what they were doing, do what they did. And how in the world he was able to restrain himself from just unleashing on these people. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the constitution to have been able to stand all that pain and suffering that he suffered. And yet he chose to stay on that cross. He had the ability to call legions of, of angels to help him, but he didn't. He stayed on that cross. He did all of that for us. So I believe that his faithfulness to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, I think that that is the very way he was going to overcome the world. He showed that he was doing what was always intended to have happen. The Bible describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. God had that plan in motion before the world was even laid down. God did that for us. So what did he do? Well, by dying, he wins because he defeated sin by living a sinless life his entire life. He'd never sinned one time. That's impressive. Second thing, he defended, uh, uh, rather defeated hell. When he died, he goes into hell and he grabs the keys to heaven and hell from the devil. The devil had the title of everybody's uh, salvation title deed of their eternal life because of what Adam and Eve had done. But because Jesus died, and he shouldn't have died, but he did anyway, he was able to wrestle, not wrestle, just take, rightfully so, control over death and hell. So he defeated sin in his life. He never sinned. He defeated hell directly by taking the keys of heaven and hell from the devil. And then finally, he defeated the grave. He absolutely rose from the dead. Now, with somebody like that, 
We ought to be encouraged to follow him. Now, Jesus says in verse number 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I have to say to you that in the last several months, it's been hard as a Christian to see what's happening in our nation. It's hard to see the, the lack of godliness and the fact that godly is ignored and often the opposite of godliness is celebrated. How can I be of good cheer when the world is filled with this type of nonsense? So I started making a list of what you have with Jesus as opposed to what you have in the world. Well, let's compare the list. Now Jesus said, in me you may have peace. And that's exactly right. With Jesus, you have peace. But in the world, you have what? Tribulation, trouble, problems, and this persecution that happens because of him. But in Jesus, you have peace. In Jesus, you have a settled mind. But in the world, you have worry and a worried spirit. Think about that for a moment. The world, what's it give you? Gives you a worried spirit. Did God give you that spirit of fear? Did God give you that spirit of worry? No. Why do we allow the spirit of worry to take over our lives? Because we're not living in Jesus. We're letting the world control our attitudes. Jesus also said that you will be of good cheer. He wants you to have joy, but in the world you'll have despair. The world is trying to get you down. The world is trying to bring you down and to depress you, but that is not from Jesus. He wants you to be of good cheer and to rejoice. In the world, you have defeat, but in Jesus, you have victory. Why? Because he has overcome the world. He defeated everything the world could throw at him. So you already have a champion upon whom you're relying. And if we rely on him, we gain from him. In the world, there is death. But in Jesus, you have life and that everlasting. So I started looking at that list of just a handful of things. Do I want in this world to, uh, to concentrate only on the tribulation, the worry, the despair, the defeat, and the death. Is that all I want to think about? Sounds like the nightly news. <laughs> I mean, li literally. Is that my life? No, that's not going to be my life. I can't handle that. I think it's much better to have the other list, to have peace, to have a settled mind, to have joy, to have victory, and to live. Woo! Now that is really important. That's worth rejoicing about. There's no excuse for us to have that tribulation, worried spirit, despair, defeat, and death. We don't, we're not those people. We have Christ Jesus, and we have peace through him. We have a settled mind, we have joy, we have victory, we have life. Let's rejoice. He said, be of good cheer. That's command. Why? Because he says, I've overcome the world. You know, I think, whoa, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. He says, don't worry about it. I've already done it. 
<laughs> I've already done it for you. I have done it for you. What a great Lord we serve. He has overcome the world. Now, the scripture tells us that there is a, a nice little thing that overcomes the world. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Well, John says it's our faith. Our faith overcomes the world. We are not strong enough to overcome the world. No doubt about it. You can't do it and I can't do it. But if we have faith in the man who did, we will overcome the world. We're going to be winners too. That's all we got to do. To, to have peace in him, trust him, and quit worrying about what you can or can't do. That's just a waste of time. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the overcomer, the one who defeated sin, hell, and the grave. Man, that's the one I champion, and that's the one we need to keep looking to because I got good news for you. If you love him, there's somebody called the Father, who knows who you are. And he remembers those people who love his son. He, he, he'll do special favors for those who love his son. I don't care how bad you've been in your life. If you'll put your faith in the Lord, God will take care of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our heavenly father, I want to thank you for these words that Jesus gave to us. Now these words are lasting words. They are words of encouragement, but they are hard words because it's hard, Lord, to be of good cheer when we start thinking about negative things that are going on in our world. It's hard because of the misunderstandings, because of the hostility, because of the hatred and the, the violence and the divisions that happen in our world. Lord, we just get overcome by our circumstances, and we say, Lord, how do we make it? But then you tell us to be of good cheer, and you've told us to be of good cheer, and it all starts with our faith in the Lord. So, Lord, forgive us for not having the faith we needed, and I ask for you to bless today so that we in this place will be able to stand with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.